The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Uh, (laughs) I'm laughing. I'm laughing, uh, Jim Trotter. Good to see you, brother. I'm laughing because uh, this is the first time I've seen your entire feed. <laughs> oh, and I, you know, listen. I know, I know you appreciate good comedy. I know you have a classic Richard Pryor shirt that you keep promising to wear on the program. Uh, so, I didn't explicit. know you were this funny. I didn't Too know you explicit. were this funny though. I didn't know you were this okay. funny. I did not plan to start with this, but I just happened to see. <laughs> you know, Jim Thomas put his feet. Uh, Buckeyes versus Wolverines. Who you got? Like what? What for real? For real? Are you? <laughs> Come on! For real? Come on! Did Gary, Car- for did Gary Carter make you do that? Did, did, did he make you do that? I mean, who you got? Can like, I, who, who's everybody have? There's a wrong answer and a right answer. What? Do you have the right answer? I hope so. What's the right answer? Bro, let me say. Let me say this to you. I have been looking forward to this game since last year's game ended because nobody does petty better than Jim Harbaugh. Nobody. And when Jim Harbaugh does petty, all it does is make you want to see him feel the other side of that. And so who am I rooting for in this game? The Buckeyes. So you, you're not, I know you're not going to kick me off the show now. I'm rooting for the Buckeyes, but I think it's going to be a fantastic game. I think it's going to be a fantastic game. And I love, I love when it's like there's a personal element to it. And again, because Jim does petty so well, it always feels like with his opponents, there's a little bit of personal um, something involved mixed in the recipe. So I'm looking for a great game and a lot of fun. I'm not going to watch a three-hour pregame show, but when kickoff rolls around, I will have it on. Yeah, kickoff rolls around. You've had your you've had your leftovers. Uh, for the second day in a row, and you watch a great game. OH in the country says, IO. Thank you very much. All right, look. <laughs> hey, you know, Jim, I was thinking about this today when I saw this news break about the uh, NFLPA. And I always, I used to have these thoughts about, okay, what happened? You know, you, you know, when you're a little kid, you don't, you have kind of like a, a skewed view of what a lot of money is. So let's say I'm 10 years old. It's like, hey, if I ever get $200. I do this, I do that, I do that. You think that's a lot of money. And then as you get a little older, you say, well, that's not really that much money. But I wonder if I'm still doing that, not at 10, but at 52. Am I doing this thing where I say to myself, am I being unrealistic when I say, if I were an NFL owner and I'm a billionaire and I've got great players, and I'd say somebody said to me, you can have a great championship team. All you've got to do is say, maybe guarantee your, your best players are going to ask for their contracts to be guaranteed. Would you do it? You know, to make your players happy, to uh, uh, make the road to a championship a little bit smoother, less contentious. I'd say, sure, I'm a billionaire. Why wouldn't I do that? But NFL owners, no NFL owner. No NFL owner thinks like I do. <laughs> uh, and, and maybe that's why they're in ownership and I'm not. I don't understand. Well, there's one. There why. is one who does. Oh, yeah, but there under duress. Under duress. Jimmy Haslam, you talking about? Jimmy yes, Haslam sir. did it. Jimmy Haslam did it under duress because for him to get the quarterback that he wanted, we're going to see him pretty soon, Deshaun Watson, for him to get the quarterback he wanted, he needed to guarantee the contract or else Deshaun, uh, Deshaun uh, Watson was going to go elsewhere. But I'm talking about actually, somebody... there are, actually, there are two. There are two. Kirk Cousins. The other, yes. The other was not on okay. the scale of Deshaun Watson's contract, but yes. So it has been done. Why won't they do it? Why? why, why and, and just for those who don't know, NFLPA says there's collusion happening. These owners are colluding. 
to keep uh, to keep players from getting guaranteed contracts because obviously they're afraid. They're afraid of what this will lead to. Uh, I'm not afraid of what it will lead to. I enjoy the NFL. I love seeing people in football and any other industry. No matter what industry you're in listening to us, listening to brother from another, consuming brother from another, I want you to get paid too. I want you to get every single dime that you've worked hard for. And I, I, I feel the same way about NFL players, but why won't these owners uh, ever do this, Jim? Well, just what you said. I mean, there's a fear element here. Number one, um, the NFL is such an inherently violent sport that if you guarantee all that money into a player um, and he gets hurt, you're on the hook for it until that contract expires. And so there is some fear from that from that standpoint. Um, and I would say not so much with quarterbacks, but with other positions. Here's but but here's my 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 angle on all this talk about guaranteed contracts, Michael. At some point, it's not about what you ask for; it's about what you demand, right? And the players yeah. can demand guaranteed contracts. There is nothing in the collective bargaining agreement that says a player cannot have a fully guaranteed contract. The question is. When are you going to stand up and demand it? And I go back a few years. There was, there was a point where a number of top quarterbacks were coming up. And I was like, it was Andrew Luck, Russell Wilson, when Russell Wilson was good, um, and, and a couple others. Ooh. And I said, oh, that's the truth. And I said, yeah. if each of these quarterbacks said, we are not signing contracts unless they are fully guaranteed, what do you think ownership would have done with those clubs? In all likelihood, they would have given them fully guaranteed contracts. We had the same thing some years ago with cornerbacks, where a number of the top cornerbacks were coming up, Richard Sherman, Patrick Peterson, and some others. And if they had held it together and said, in other words, if you want to use the term collusion, um, if they, which they can't be from the player's side, I would argue, um, if those players had said, we're not signing any deals unless they're fully guaranteed, I would have to believe some of those owners, if not all, would have said, okay, we're going to fully guarantee him. But where the owners get the players is, I believe, is that players know that their careers are, that there is a finite number of years that they can play and that injury is always right around the corner. And the dollars are, are extreme. I shouldn't say extreme, but they are large, relatively speaking in terms of what is being offered to them. And so they will take what they can get in the short term instead of focusing or fighting for those guaranteed deals. So I'm fascinated to see what evidence the Players Association has to make this claim. Because as you know, and we've talked about before, that famous line from the movie Training Day, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. So I'm fascinated right. to see what, what evidence the Players Association has. Don't they need, uh, Jim, don't they need like a big name? Don't, don't they need somebody. I mean, this is like, I, I think this is the opposite of Major League Baseball. Like Major League Baseball is, is in this position today, whether players realize it or not or acknowledge it or not. MLB is in this position where they have, everybody has guaranteed contracts. Uh, even the bums have guaranteed contracts because of what Kurt Flood did. And right. I, I'm guessing, I'm guessing if you ask, um, the majority of Major League Baseball players, do you know about the reserve clause and do you know the name Kirk Flood? I'd say the majority would not get it. They wouldn't understand how influential this guy was. Not a great player by any sort, a good player, but not a great player who kind of challenged the system and it in Major League Baseball has not been the same since. He, Kirk, Kirk Flood essentially is the godfather of free agency in Major League Baseball. Correct. And so, so the world changed. Tell me how it would work. Flood. Right. But tell me how so, it would uh, work in the NFL. All right. Lamar Jackson uh, is our guy. Lamar Jackson is, say, is saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to that. This is what you're going to. I'm going to force you to guarantee every dollar that I play for going forward. Now, what that means for the Baltimore Ravens, if he's serious about it, if he's serious about it, the Ravens could keep, you know, put a couple of franchise tags on him, which is guaranteed money right. over right. what? $40 million for a quarterback. Is a 40 or is a little bit more. Yeah, it, it, anyway, it will likely be in that neighborhood. Yes. Yeah. So you put a couple of uh, franchise tags on him. That's guaranteed dollars. And then at the end of the franchise tag, he says, sorry, I haven't changed my mind. 
and you're forced to either give them a guaranteed deal or trade them to someone who will then give them a guaranteed contract. Uh, but, but it will take a star player to say, I am not going to live by these conditions or in a case, maybe Lamar Jackson is not a good example. A better example is somebody who's under contract and demands a new one. Not in position to be uh, tagged. Let's say they're in year two of a five-year deal. I'm like, nope, I'm not coming back until you change this contract and make it fully guaranteed. And that player either gets a fully guaranteed contract, great player with the franchise, because it has to be a great player. Otherwise, the team would be like, no, just sit out. I don't care. It had to be like somebody like a Micah Parsons. It had to be somebody like a Patrick Mahomes, just like a big name where a team doesn't have the luxury of just sitting there saying, I don't care what you say. We'll go on without you. No, the circus does not go on without me, baby. You better, you got to deal with me. And they either guarantee that contract or they trade them to someone who will then guarantee the contract. And then I think the, the floodgates, well, maybe the floodgates won't open, but things will loosen up a little bit. It, we, need a, we need a courageous star to say nothing, nothing less than guaranteed money. Look, I, I, I'm on record for more than a decade of saying I would love to see that. I just haven't seen the will of the player to say that's what he will do. And particularly, as I say, as a group, so that one player is not out on an island. You're right, Lamar is holding his ground, saying I want that fully guaranteed deal. And here's the way I look at it too. People say, Lamar, get what you can while you can. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I, I disagree with that. I mean, he, I'm sure he's got an injury protection or an in insurance um, um, policy that will protect him against career ending injury. I'm saying, let's say at the end of this year, the, the Ravens say, we're not going to give you a multi-year guarantee. He says, fine, I'll play for 40 million this year. Then they say the next year after that season, they're still not, not going to give him a multi-year guarantee. Well, under the franchise tag, it would be 120% increase. So that would be 48 million he would play for in the second year under the franchise tag. So he's now made $88 million over two guaranteed. years. And as you yes. guaranteed, and then at that point, the Ravens would have to decide whether or not they want to franchise him a third year, which is so prohibitive, the likelihood of that happening is nil. And therefore, as you say, he would hit the open market. I'm of the mind, I don't have a problem, particularly if I'm a quarterback, saying I'll play on your franchise tag for one year, for two years. Because I know after two years, if I'm, if I'm as good as I know I am and as other people know I am, I'm going to make a lot of money in those two years fully guaranteed. And at that third year, I'm going to go out on the market and get, as you said, a large fully guaranteed deal, a multi-year deal from a team that's desperate for a quarterback. Because what do we say? The NFL is a quarterback-driven league. So from that standpoint, I'm not complaining um, at this point about not having a, a fully guaranteed deal. And again, I need to stress this, Michael. Yeah. There is nothing in the collective bargaining agreement that says a player cannot have a fully guaranteed contract. It is simply a matter of the player yeah. standing his ground and saying, if I don't get it, I'm not playing. I, I, I just had this thought and it, it's not fully developed. So I'm going to put it out there get your response. I'm going to move on to another topic because I want to think about this some more. But as, as I listen to you, Jim, uh, it hits me that the problem is not necessarily. I mean, I do think players should get fully guaranteed contracts. But on the way there, on the road to a fully guaranteed contract, I see a couple of problems along the way. About 20 miles on my journey, I see a problem. <laughs> and one of the problems is the length, the length of contracts initially and the language around the franchise tag. Maybe the franchise tag needs to go. And maybe we need to, out of college, it shouldn't be maybe if you are a first round pick, you're a top 15, top 25 pick. Why are you signing a four year contract? Contract should be two or three years. After two or three years, you establish yourself. There's no franchise tag. If players were able to go to the market, if we just let the market determine it without this artificial, hey, I'm going to put a tag on you. I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to I'm going to cap your cost then, you know, the players would be closer to getting what they're looking for. Free market, the yeah. market, let the market decide, right? Yeah, but 
But the problem is that there is a collective bargaining agreement that outlines the length of contracts for players coming into the league. So this would require veteran players Conflict. or players currently in the league saying, Conflict. you know what? Yep. Saying basically um, at the next labor negotiation, which is somewhere down yes. the line, long down the line after they signed a 10 year deal, way down the line, the players at that point would have to say, you know what, we're not signing a new CBA unless these things change. And I can't see the owners changing that at all because one thing owners like is knowing what the fixed cost is for each season so that they can plan out, you know, in terms of from season to season or their business interest and whatnot. Here's my thing with, with the collective bargaining agreement when you talk about players. Where I was really put off in 2011 with that CBA when it was signed, when we had a work stoppage, was the owners were adamant that they wanted to get... Yeah, we didn't have they a work stoppage. To get, we had a lockout. We had a lockout. You're correct. Yeah, but the owners yeah. were adamant that they wanted to get rookie salaries under control. Because if you remember, Sam Bradford had signed that deal that was, I think he had a $50 million signing bonus or some something crazy. And the owner said, we want to get rookie contracts under, under control. And so we want fixed costs. We want a rookie wage scale. And the union agreed to it. But my issue with that was, if as, as a union you were going to agree with that, then for the players' purposes, they got to be able to become free agents quickly after that initial rookie deal. And that didn't happen. The owners got protections both on the front end and the back end. They got reduced cost on the front end and a fixed cost on the front end. And on the back end, they still had the franchise tag. That, and for first-round picks, they had the fifth-year option. So, for instance, if I am a running back and I am a damn good running back, it means that an organization can tie up my rights for, let's say, seven years. That's four years on the contract, a fifth-year option, and then two years under the franchise tag. When do I get to hit the open market? and try and earn my true value because we know that running backs, relatively speaking, are underpaid. So that was my big issue with that that uh, CBA deal back in 2011, is that I felt the players got screwed in that area and that they weren't able to hit the market more quickly, the young players after they come into the league. Now, uh, listen, uh, Jim, I was telling somebody the other day, uh, I spent so much time in church growing up uh, whatever you need to know, whatever you need to know about the Bible, I got you. Okay, I spent so much time in church growing up. I went to so I went to Catholic school K through K through nine. I went to Catholic school, and in Catholic school, the Catholic school I went to uh, before school every day, every day, every day before school I had to go to mass every day. I'm afraid of where this time. is going. Hey, hey. I'm no, 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 don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. No, 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 no. I'm just telling you. I'm just giving you a little background, <laughs> a little background. Every day I had to go to mass before school. And if you were late to mass, you can go outside for recess. So I was on time for mass every day, K through nine to Catholic school. But then we weren't Catholic, but went to Catholic school. And my mom's church, we in church all day long. It was like nine to five, pretty much <laughs> on Sunday, you know, anyway. So I heard a lot of sermons. I've heard a lot of sermons over the years and, uh, and, and, and lots of preachers who have said something to the effect of don't compare yourself to anyone else. The key to a joyful life is to keep your eyes on the prize and don't think about what your neighbor has and what this person has just work. It's hard, man. I mean, if I'm an NFL player and, I, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll take a break after this and, and talk to uh, Mark Spears of Anscape. If I'm an NFL player, I'm the number one sport in North America, number one. And I look at Major League Major League Baseball, and it's quiet hot stove season, and all of those guys are getting guaranteed contracts. NHL right now, all of those guys are getting guaranteed contracts. Their numbers don't match ours. They don't have the eyeballs uh, that we do. They don't have the ratings that we do. They get guaranteed contracts. Mark Spears covers the NBA. Great. It's fun. Some iconic players. They get guaranteed contracts. They don't have the numbers that we do. And here we are in the NFL. Number one sport. Everybody's crazy about us. People are betting on us. Doing all sorts of wearing our stuff, wearing our jerseys, packing stadiums, and no guaranteed contracts. But you, but you said something profound there. Everyone is betting on us. 
The problem is the players won't bet on themselves. Oh, there it is. Right there. For Mike themselves. Put the music on them. Give them, a, give them a music bed. Say it again, Jim Trotter. That's a good one. Everybody's the betting players, on us. Everyone right? is betting on the players, but the players are not betting on themselves. They won't stand up mm. for themselves. Mm, I heard a preacher like you say something like that once. Talk about gambling in the pulpit. <laughs> they ask for they ask for some money for the building fund. Okay, <laughs> you know, I know some of y'all hit the lottery last night. <laughs> put an extra twenty. Put a, put an extra twenty in the offering plate. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World? Like, hey, we came to play. Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Is there any chance in your mind that maybe enough time has passed that it won't be so bad it'll be <laughs> in Philly come on now I know it, I know it's coming oh, that was Ben Simmons uh, asked about his return to Philadelphia he hadn't played on the court there and it's how quickly time goes it's been two and a half years since Ben Simmons took a court in Philadelphia and he went on to say Mark Spears of Anscape he went on to say that he really appreciated uh, Philadelphia is a city, Philadelphia sports fan, and, and the passion, all the things that uh, you'd expect him to say. So how do you think this is going to go when Ben Simmons, Brooklyn Net, takes on the Sixers? I think it's going to be kind of like that that tooth that you need to get pulled <laughs> where you're like, you're, you're dreading going to the debtor's office and you know it's coming. I got a dentist appointment on dentist December 1st, man. It's not going to be a good one. I know it's coming, but it, it has to it has to happen. It's going to happen, and once I leave the office, I'm going to feel better. And I think that's going to be the case for Ben Simmons, man. Uh, he's going to go there. You know what you're getting. The fact that he's playing well helps. I saw him last week in Sacramento, and he looked like his own se- old self. He uh, visited with Sacramento State's uh, head coach, David Patrick, who uh, is his godfather. And he told him to be effing Ben Simmons, you know, to be himself. And it seemed like since that game in Sacramento, he's loosened up, played better, looked like his normal self, got back in the starting lineup. So in terms of the way he's playing, the timing is good. In terms of the booing, get ready for it. Like, I I even go play a tribute video. (laughs) I think they have to, out of respect, they don't right? Have you to. play a tribute they don't video. Have, no. <laughs> they don't have to. No. They don't have to. Don't do that. It's kind of customary <laughs> in the that. NBA to play a tribute video for somebody that had a significant, you know, role in their franchise. I mean, as crazy as this might sound, I mean, Ben Simmons had overall a great career there. He was an all-star several times. I don't know that he's going to get a jersey. He won't get a jersey retired, but... Uh, uh, no. Uh, no, but but no. What I but my point so. is, as a franchise, sometimes I, I I think like when I look back and I'm maybe going too deep on this, I remember when Melo went back to Denver for the first time, and they played a video that included also like Kenyon Martin, J.R. Smith, like everybody that went to New York that came back, and Melo, you know, Camby was in it. I, I think that probably hurt him a little bit that he didn't get his own video. And so I think that sometimes you got to be the bigger person as a franchise. And although you know he's going to get booed, you're still showing the people that are on your team that your career here will always be respected. So I hope the Sixers do show a video no matter whether it gets booed or not. You know, Mark, obviously, as you were pointing out, there has been a tremendous turnaround in this play. Was it as simple as that conversation with his godfather, or was it the fact that maybe he's finally feeling healthy after all the yeah. things he's gone through? Um, I, I think it's it was rust, a lot of rust. Uh, I, I may a, as uh, Michael said, I've been a been apologist for a while. Uh, I, I think mentally he's gotten over some things. 
back knee physically. He's gotten over some things and he's just playing basketball now, man. And um, so maybe coming off the bench helped him because it just, uh, the, there maybe wasn't as much pressure there. I do think his, his coach being like, man, just come on, man, just play, just play basketball. And he was in a comfortable environment and sack, even though they got drilled that game uh, helped him. And so confidence is I I mean you guys been covering sports for a long time I don't care how amazingly talented you are if you don't have your confidence your shot and I could see from that Sacramento game that confidence that old Ben smile fun it's it's coming back and uh you know if if the Sixers are pretty injury riddled if, if they're missing a bunch of guys and you know Nets have a good game I think it will, regardless to what the fans are doing and saying, it, it could be uh, maybe be fun for him. But I also remember some of the ugliness that we've seen in the NBA, uh, whether it was Lamar Odom being in Boston and them chanting ugly sister when he's at the free throw line mm. when he was dating Khloe Kardashian at the time. Um, mm. I was at a, a game in L.A. when Sha- Shaq made his return to Miami and the Laker fans were either like, Shaq fans or Kobe fans and somebody had a picture of Shaq and Kobe holding uh, like a championship trophy and an MVP trophy and they had a red head over Kobe Bryant the late great Kobe Bryant's head so mm. if there is a worry tonight I, I worry about it being just an ugly environment signs you know I was in Oklahoma City when a guy dressed up as a cupcake when Kevin Durant came back like the dude actually had a cupcake uniform <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Michael, you like that one. Top, man. <laughs> he was just about the cupcake, man. Like so, that 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 part's going to be creative tonight. Uh, uh, the Sixers fans are legendary. They're, they're I, I saw him boo Destiny's Child once. So I, I, well, I expect no, to... no. no. What are we, no, we going Destiny's Child for? That tops. What are that we tops Santa. We know the we know the Santa. We know the Santa thing, but no, this is the next level. Destiny's Child Iverson was in the finals. And Destiny's Child performed, and they had half Lakers, half Sixers outfit on, and because it wasn't all Sixers, the Sixers fans booed him. They oh, booed Destiny's Child, Beyonce, <laughs> Michelle Williams, whoever the third one was at that time. Kelly Rowland. Kelly Rowland. Kelly Rowland. You, you said Kelly whoever? Maybe Mich- you didn't mention, no, you didn't Kelly, mention Rowland Kelly Rowland first? My okay, bad. Okay, I was going to say. Kelly, I meant Kelly to say Rowland Kelly. was the first. I think Michelle was Kelly there. Kelly Rowland was the first. Maybe your, your staff could get us some video or pictures of that. But Philly might be the most interesting place. They're going to come with it. They're going to come with it. I don't know if anything beats the cupcake uniform but i i expect the sixers fans to be give them uh some brotherly love for sure well mark let, let can me i ask you, about... you this real quick but no, go, go ahead michael go ahead go ahead go ahead jim no you got it no i just wanted to ask a basketball question as it relates to the nets if if ben simmons is is back and has his confidence and plays like the old ben simmons and Kyrie is there and Kyrie plays to the level that we know he can and you got kd what can we expect from the Nets? How dangerous are they? They're championship dangerous. They're scary. They got shooters. The one thing they don't have, I think, that worries me about them is a lack of size. Uh, they're, they're not a great rebounding team. They're not a great defensive team. But they got shooters, man. Curry's on the team. Joe Harris. You know, um, they, they got some shooters. Um and so when you got Kevin Durant, Kyrie, if you got Ben, they, ben playing on top level, they're scary. They got Patty Mills shooting. They got shooters everywhere on this squad. But it's, it's about the problem is that the focus hasn't been about basketball. It's been about right. everything else. So now with Kyrie back, now with Ben playing better, perhaps now where they're just a close, they're still in November, they can focus on just basketball and be a force that uh, they have on paper the potential to be. And Jacques Bond's doing a fantastic job coaching. Hey, you know, there's one member of the Brooklyn Nets that, that you didn't mention. I'm surprised that you forgot him. He's a uh, all-star player, Mark. Uh, his name is Jalen Brown. Yeah, he plays for the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, he doesn't play for the Brooklyn Nets. Because <laughs> if I listen to his comments, 
When I listen to Jalen Brown's comments about Kyrie, I'm like, dude, hey, hey, if your last name were Irving, you wouldn't be expected to cape so hard for Kyrie like you're doing. Have you been following this, Mark? Every step of the way, this goes beyond being part of the uh, NBA Players Association leadership, uh, leadership Council, which he is. I know he's got a very prominent position in the Players Association. But every step of the way, he has said, oh, yeah, Kyrie, uh, Brooklyn, he's, he's, he's disagreed with Josiah. He wound up doing something really, really stupid where the, the, the group, the, the group that, that, Ky, the, that Kyrie pretty much affiliated with the people who Kyrie was tweeting and retweeting their stuff, they, they wound up protesting outside the arena in Brooklyn. See, but he, he thought they were the Jalen Brown, high, man. Jalen Brown thought, thought they, they were, were a fraternity. You know what is funny? And he, I have and a he group, retweets I it. Have a, I have a group chat with some very prominent brothers on it, and they too thought it was a mega. So Come on. I'm, but, I would give Jalen a pass because I'm like, if these, these cats that I'm tight with think that but, thought they were But a that's mega. just like... But but I, but it's not just that Jalen Brown essentially has b- between his his association with Kanye that he finally had to be talked out of. He was late to that. Yeah. His caping up for Kyrie in this situation that cost Kyrie games, and then yeah. the retweet. What am I missing? What like w- what's going on? And I, I get the sense that you know the the players association never really came out with a strong enough rebuke of Kyrie. And I just wonder what you think that's about. But I thought the Players Association came with a strong statement. I had a um, diary with C.J. McCollum uh, yesterday that was pretty strong in him being against what happened. Did you read that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought C.J. was pretty strong. Uh, uh, initially, Mark. Initially, it was. I mean, I guess they, so what they, it was. Their initial, their initial statement was about just randomly about anti-Semitism, yeah. but not necessarily yeah. specifically about what Kyrie was doing. And I, I'm just going to tell you. You tell me if I'm uh, if I'm going too far here. <clears throat> I thought Brooklyn was very reasonable by saying, "This is what you've got to do to get back on the court." Jalen Brown and others said, "Oh, that's unreasonable." What's unreasonable about it? The guy had a hundred opportunities just to say, I'm sorry, my bad. I'm not an anti-Semite and he didn't do it. What's an employer supposed to do? Oh, by the way, the employer is based in Brooklyn where 600,000 people consider themselves Jews. What are you thinking, dude? Like, just say, I'm sorry. He didn't. So I think Brooklyn was very fair with Kyrie Irving. You know that choir you were, didn't mention that when you were going to church, all them church services and all that you spoke of earlier. I feel like I'm in a choir right now. He <laughs> just he <laughs> <laughs> just preaching to me. Go on, Pastor. Uh, yeah, yeah, anyway, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I said uh, uh, Jalen Brown. I mean, it's 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 one thing. It just it just blows my mind, Mark. Kyrie Irving essentially was suspended seven. Was it eight games? Is it eight? Something it was seven right. or eight games. I think it wound up for eight. seven or eight games for retweeting something that maybe he did or did not read, mm-hmm. but he retweeted it and then didn't back away from it. Jalen Brown retweeted something. He didn't know what it was about. He did back away from it, but like, you know, man, like you're getting too close to the fire. What are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah. I just, I, I, it's just, I just don't get it. Uh, tell me this. Um, is Doc Rivers, the guy you covered in Boston, mm-hmm. is Doc Rivers in jeopardy of, of losing that gig in Philly? Man, they got some injuries. Uh, they're not playing up to expectations, hardened out, and beat out for I, I, at least I the next if, couple of games. Um... Maxi. I, I do think the pressure was on Doc from the once the season started, but with their injuries, I, it's not fair to let him go or to challenge him at this point. What do you what do you want him to do? Like make wine out of water? Like they're just team is beat up. If they're healthy, 
and he, they were having these struggles, I think it'd be a different thing. But with, uh, with all the injuries they have, they're having, I don't, I don't know what anybody expects the Sixers to do right now. Mark, let me, you mentioned the diary that you're doing with CJ McCollum as, as an outsider. I'm always fascinated about how these things come about and how you go about choosing who you want to do projects with like this. What what was it that led you to CJ in terms of all the players who are in the NBA, all the contacts you have, what was it about him that said, this is the dude I want to do a year long diary with? Yeah. Well, one, he's just a fascinating dude. He's uh, he's president of the players union. Um, right. he's somebody that wanted to play in New Orleans. Obviously, they had an amazing run in the playoffs last year without Zion. Zion's back. So there's a Zion aspect to this as well. Um, uh, there's a labor stuff. So, you know, you can constantly talk to him about what's happening, you know, off the court, which is which led to his, you know, words on Kyrie. Also, man, he's somebody maybe as near and dear to my heart as, as somebody who has New Orleans ties and is uh, going to be there for Thanksgiving, right? Um, he has embraced the city. Uh, he goes on a date with his wife every week, if he can, to a different restaurant, try a different restaurant in the best restaurant city in the country, maybe maybe in the world, right? Um, he's uh, he's I saw him in the rain last uh, Saturday passing out turkeys in the New Orleans East, which is certainly challenged. And so he's just an interesting cat, man. Interesting to do a father. Uh, been married just a couple of years. So there, there's so many different things that he's talk can talk about. One thing I love about him, like how serious he's taking this, is he wants to meet with me face to face and and mm-hmm. do these uh do his diary. And um he uh, you know, there there have been players in the past who may not have taken it as seriously as him. But he he cares about like he wants to edit it, Jim. To his diary, mm-hmm. I'm like, Yeah, oh. you could edit it. He was like, uh Wow. I'm, I'm email it to me. I want to do my own editing and, and, and I respect that. Like he's, he's taking this really, really seriously. So now I think we're getting in a better groove where when I interview him next time, next month in Salt Lake city, uh, cause I figured he had time there to, to do, <laughs> to do his diary over the course of two games and four days in Salt Lake. Um, what, what, what you trying to say about Salt Lake, Mark? I enjoy Salt Lake. I, to, uh, I love Salt, but uh, yeah, especially Park City. It's cool. You're a better but man I, than me. I think he yeah, uh, is beautiful. And me too. Right. Really beautiful time of the year. You know, I got my boy Lossie awesome. Mitchell. We went to San Jose State together, so he knows the spot. So, yeah. uh, okay. It, it, okay. It, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> okay. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as a yeah, restaurant aficionado, <laughs> maybe he didn't have as many places to choose from. Okay. All right. Uh, Real, real quick, I keep uh, I keep saying I keep begging the Golden State Warriors. Somebody listen to me. Take my phone calls. I'm trying to uh, bring Jonathan K- uh, Kaminga to Boston. Uh, no, I know they got blown out. Last no, I, I, I no. know. I love For him. Who? I love him. For who? Uh, anybody? Not anybody, but uh, you know, reasonable. <laughs> well, it's anybody. Reasonable. Hey, how about how about Sam Hauser? How about Sam Hauser? Straight up, Sam Hauser. Oh, for Jonathan, uh, you want to do it? You want to do it? Tell us, no. Sam Hauser and Luke Cornett for Jonathan Kaminga and a second round pick. No, I love this kid. No, really. I think this kid has got so much potential. And I know the Warriors did it again last night. They don't play Steph. They don't play Clay. They didn't play Draymond yeah. or Wiggins. And they get blown out by the Pelicans. Uh, Kaminga winds up hitting his head on the backboard on a dunk. <laughs> I mean, it's just insane. Yeah. Tell me what you think. And last question for me: uh, What do you think of this kid when he's, you know, fully formed? Three years, four years. What do you think he's got in him? Well, I, I got to watch him with the G League Ignite, so I, I saw him before he got into the league, and he was doing special things. Then I, I think this kid is going to get better and better and better. Just he's like LeBron-sized player, LeBron-type athlete. Uh, he just needs to get around more basketball. This isn't somebody who's played basketball since he was five, like a lot of us were, right? So he's still mastering the game. He's still mastering the complications of what the what the Warriors do. But once he locks it down, I mean, he has potential to be better than any of their young players. 
he, he he's just got that much. So I I think you're gonna have to bring in like Malcolm Brogdon or something like that if 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 you want your Celtics to to like get a sniff Derek at, White? Uh, coming. How about how about Derek White? No, a little warmer. No. There. No, no, look, why not? No, why not, Why not? As a as a lifelong Warriors fan, somebody who sat up in the five dollar seats at the old Oakland Alameda Coliseum Arena, yeah. Jonathan Kaminga to me has the ability um, or the skill set to be one of the league's best. And if they were to yeah. trade him, I might have to get up off my squad. That's just how I feel. <laughs> this kid is so young. Hey man, your boy just was don't even don't waste your energy, Jim. Look at that. Yeah, no. Uh-uh. So and the other but, but what energy. I wanted to ask you, Mark, before we get out of here real quick, is like I'm always asking about James do Wiseman. What do you mm-hmm. see? What do you see in James and and like Nat and I have had this discussion where she talks about possibly trading James. Because she doesn't yeah. think he fits there. Your thoughts on that? Because I'm a James Wiseman fan. I think if you give him time to play, he's another guy who hasn't played much yeah. basketball the last three years. I think he has a chance to be really special in this league. Well, um, I'm with you. I'm sticking with him. I saw him at the Hoop Summit years ago, and I saw David Robinson. That's what I saw. Uh, crazy mm-hmm. athlete, uh, runs the floor like somebody that's not supposed to be that tall runs the floor, uh, block shots. And I think Steve said he thinks Wiseman's problem was a combination of injuries and the pandemic stunning his growth. I also think it's a confidence thing, like not catching the ball every time he misses, being down on himself, being a step behind. So mental from a confidence standpoint and mental just from a catching up to the basketball speed standpoint. Um, so I do think sending him to the G League, to the Santa Cruz Warriors, was a, a brilliant thing to do. He's had Absolutely. good numbers there. Um, but right now, I mean, I think the Warriors probably need to sign another big. They, they need a yeah. veteran big. Um, maybe Dwight Howard, maybe a DeMarcus Cousins might help them. But I'm not I'm not getting up on, giving up on this kid. You send him somewhere else, he's going to come back and haunt you. And Absolutely. So I, All right. I think uh, I think uh, there just needs to be some more patience, and get them ready by midseason. But they're not rushing him out of Santa Cruz. They want they want him to be so dominant in the G League that like he forces you to bring him back. Hey Mark. Ah. Hey man. Good to, good good to hear from you. Happy Thanksgiving. Safe travels. Thank you. If you're traveling, uh, if you're going to New Orleans. We're jealous. Happy eating. I'm here, man. You're absolutely Gumbo right. Is, with the is, is heating up oh, right everything. now. Oh, you're killing me. The fried killing turkey me. is yeah. heating up right now. Oh, it's killing some me. good stuff. Mark Spears, one of the best in the country. The Thank you, brother. is heating up right now. Stop. Stop. Oh. We're not listening. I'm not listening anymore. I'm going fishing for some real to fish tomorrow. It, okay. It's going down. Redfish, baby. <laughs> All right. All right. We appreciate you, Mark. Let's- All right, now. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. All right, Jim, uh, you look at some of these Hall of Fame semifinalists. Every every time I see a a list like this, I think of you. You are a Hall of Fame voter. (laughs) You take it seriously. You're really into it. Uh, I look at two guys here, I would think. I'm not asking for your vote right now, but I look at Darrell Rivas and Joe Thomas. Yeah, they shouldn't have anything to worry about. Joe Thomas, only thing he had missing in his career was competitive teams, but as far as a great player, great, great, one of the all-time greats at his position, extremely consistent, and I feel like even right now, he could give a team like 22 good snaps uh, <laughs> per game. So, what, what do you think about some of these uh, semifinalists? Any, uh, if, any of them jump out to you? Should be there, shouldn't be there, should be in? I see one who should who should have been in a long time ago, but what do you think? Go, go ahead. Who is that? 
I see it's not just because he's my colleague, uh, not just because he's a friend of mine and yours. Uh, Rodney Harrison, in my opinion, right. is a Hall of Fame safety. And I can't Michael. believe we're here in 2022 still saying he should be, and we know that he should be in the Hall of Fame. I've been preaching that for every year since he's been eligible. Um, and the thing I say that people don't realize, they remember from his Patriot days, he may have been a better player in San Diego than he was in New England, but because their teams were so bad, people didn't get a chance to see him. Rodney Harrison, without question, is a Hall of Fame player, no doubt. And if you want to, we get people who want to compare numbers, compare his numbers to Brian Dawkins, for instance. And if I were to put up blind resumes of the two of them, you would have a difficult time telling one from the other. They're that close. So no question he should be. The thing that's interesting to me about this list is that um, there are 10 returning finalists from a year ago who are now part of this semifinals class. So if, if you try and do the math and say, okay, let's say those 10 return to the finalists, make the cuts to be finalists again this year, that leaves five spots. And now you talk about a Joe Thomas or Darrell Revis or Jari Evans, um, who are first-year eligible. Guys like that, Dwight Freeney, uh, James Harrison. It becomes extremely competitive. And I haven't even factored in yet to you that a guy like Steve Smith Sr., who I believe is a Hall of Famer, didn't even make it to the finalist a year ago. So if you want to talk about how competitive this will be, that's what it'll be. Two other things I want to say on this real quick. Somebody who I was happy to see make it to this point was Henry Ellard, the former Rams wide receiver. People tend to forget him, but at the time that he retired, he was number three in the league in receiving yards and number wow. four in catches. People tend to forget that about him, and he didn't play in the era where it was wide open offenses like there are now. But the other point I want to make real quick is this bias against specialists. Like, I personally thought Devin Hester last year should have gone in the Hall of Fame on first ballot. I think he was that transcendent as a returner. But traditionally, we Hall of Fame voters seem to have a bias against specialists. The guy I bring up this year, he was on two all-decade teams, not one, but two. He was a member of the NFL's 100th anniversary team. He was a six-time first-team all-pro player and yet he didn't even make the cut to the semifinalists, and that's punter Shane Leckler. So wow. these folks who folks who want to say the guys who weren't on the field uh, every down, those sorts of things, not that you're going to exclude them, but they aren't going to carry as much weight. I really think we need to reconsider this because a guy who was as dominant as Shane Leckler was at what he did and a guy who was as dominant as Devin Hester was at what he did in my opinion, that's what the Hall of Fame is about. It is about dominance, impact, and consistency over a period of time. Yeah, uh, that's, that's a great point. And I, and I like that the Hall of Fame, out of all of the Halls of Fame, I love that football, in my opinion, is the toughest, the most stringent. You see a lot of excellent players. Like all these players listed here, all outstanding players. You don't look at any of them and go, huh? How's that guy there? All of them right. are great players, but all of them can't get in. So I, I like that, but I agree with you that maybe we should look at specialists with the, uh, through a different lens. I mean, if you can, yeah, sure, you're not on the field for like, you know, three downs or four downs, but if you mean to tell me Devin Hester didn't change the way coaches thought about playing the Bears or whenever they were kicking to him, and we just saw on Sunday how a game going back and forth, you think it's headed to overtime, how one punt return from somebody who was special with the ball in their hands can turn this thing around. It happens that these guys can help you win games. And and you, you're helping you win games and doing it in a dominant way. You're right. That's what the Hall of Fame is all about. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Uh, I want to go from Hall of Fame football players to something you told me during the break. So I, had, I just read a spot. Uh, the dog show. Release the hounds. Thanksgiving. You got a dog show. My kids watch it every year. Uh, and, and my kids, uh, we, we love, I, I would I'd like to say we love dogs in the Holly family, but honestly, I'm going to keep it 100. They love dogs. I tolerate, they love dogs. I tolerate the three dogs. That we have. I got to reconsider my we friendship three, with you then. 
okay, we've got three pugs. And if I put all of their weights together, maybe I got 35 pounds, 40 pounds, but you, my friend, you do not have a pug. You have a German shepherd. How many pounds is your German shepherd? 140. 140 She's a big pounds. girl. She's a big girl. She's uh, slim in the waist, but she's 140 pounds. I, you know, I, I talk about, <laughs> okay. I talk about her paws, man. Her paws are like George Foreman's hands. You know, back in in the day, they used to talk about when George Foreman's hands landed on you. It was a different kind of feeling. Her paws are that big that when they land on you, you feel you feel them. Um, and I'll say this Sweet to you, Michael. Dog? I, uh, no, not to outsiders. No. Okay. No, she's very, very territorial, very protective, loves the ocean, which is good. Us living near San Diego. Um, when she smells the salt in the air, she's she knows what's coming. But um, funny story, how I got her. So back during the, speaking of the Hall of Fame, I had to make a presentation one year for Eddie DeBartolo Jr. And I put in a lot of work researching it and whatnot, made the presentation. And fortunately, Eddie DeBartolo Jr. got in the hall that year. So one of his assistants called and says, he wants to do something for you. I said, I can't take anything, conflict of interest, this, that, and the other. I said, but I know he loves dogs. Just ask him if he knows of someone who could help me find a new shepherd. I get a doorbell, doorbell rings from FedEx in the box. It's a leash and a collar. And I was told, go pick up your dog on this date. That's oh, how wow. I got her. That's great. I love that. And I love that the dog is not that sweet because a dog can take out a Wolverine, I bet. <laughs> the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.